Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. It's time for our all-woman Ghostbusters show. The Ghostbusters are all women. Our guests are all women. Uh, we, what, we, what we did was to invite all of our female nose panelists uh, onto the show. Uh, there's eight of them here today. I will quickly tell you uh, who they all are. Uh, Teresa Kramer, a writer and editor at eContent Magazine, founding editor of The Cut. Tanisha Dugan, producing associate, associate at TheaterWorks. She hasn't even... She walked in there? No, she hasn't told me. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Elizabeth Kiefer, uh, professor of English at uh, Tungsten Community College. Vivian Martin, chair of the Department of Journalism at Central Connecticut State University. Carolyn Payne, actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance. Irene Papoulis, lecturer at the Alan K. Smith Center for Writing at Rhetoric and Rhetoric at Trinity College. Kate Russian, poet, editor, and educator. Tracy Wu Fastenberg, director of development at the Mark Twain House and Museum. That's all we have time for. Thanks for listening. Drive carefully. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Go see the movie. Uh, so, no, we all went to see uh, Ghostbusters, uh, the new Ghostbusters. We uh, are going to talk about it in several different ways. And then in the second segment, uh, one of the stars of Ghostbusters, Leslie Jones, found herself caught up in uh, an extremely unpleasant uh, Twitter war, basically. I guess that's what we call them now. Uh, and we're going to talk about that and maybe a little bit about what the underpinnings of that are, too. Uh, but we'll begin uh, with, and what we're going to do, too, is because we have so many panelists, we'll, we have four at a time. We're going to change on the fly. You'll hear, um, it's like hockey, anyway. We'll do line changes, people basically. Falling. The people falling and tripping over cords and stuff, and you'll really love that. So we're going to start. Uh, we've got Vivian, <laughs> we've got Wu, we've got Elizabeth, and we've got Kate uh, at the microphones right now. We're just going to begin with kind of of, um, an overview of this movie. So um, Vivian, you know, there's a couple of ways to remake or reboot something, but basically this is the kind of movie that doesn't really, except in very sly postmodern ways, uh, ever acknowledge that anything like this ever happened before. This mm-hmm. movie tells the story of a world that has no Ghostbusters and then gets Ghostbusters, right? Right. And so I mean, how, how – one of the first questions I have is uh, about – like remakes are hard. We know that, right? It's hard to do something, mm-hmm. remake something and, and do it really well. Did they, do they ultimately prove that we need another Ghostbusters movie? 
No. I, I first let me say All I right, laughed go through home it. <laughs> I laughed through it yeah. and I enjoyed parts of it, but I I think there was a failure of imagination, and it, it it's particularly frustrating because everything that I've read, all of the interviews with with Paul Feig, the writer director, um, he's talking about. All the different things he didn't want to do. He didn't want a world where there had been Ghostbusters or where the women would be coming out and having to defend the Ghostbusters' honor. So there were a lot of things he rejected, but in the end, he didn't really turn it upside down too much. And so we have the casting. Um, the casting is problematic. It's um, the, the, the premise of the story. And I think you said this, and I, I need to cite you. I don't want to be accused of plagiarism, but you said something <laughs> like, too um, much of that right, right. You said something like, you know, he doesn't commit to a premise and I think that, that that is that is true because initially there's a there's an interesting story there of the backstory about the, uh, the relationship between the Melissa McCarthy character and the Kristen Wiig character and you think oh this is going to really play out and it doesn't and so there there are pieces like that um, all of the, the characters had their, you know, had issues. But um, as you know, I, I I take more issue with the stereotypical trope, um, as do many writers on the internet. So I'm not saying anything that fresh. And 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 I guess that kind of <laughs> makes the point even more that the way the um, the Leslie Jones character um, is cast. When I first saw, you know, I I liked the movie, the 1984 movie. But I always had issues with this sort of fourth, uh, fourth Ghostbuster because um, I never. I never really figured out how the Winston character fits in. Mm-hmm. I re I took another look at the original, and after seeing the new one, I you know I wasn't fair to um, uh, Ernie Hudson, Hudson's um, character, and I know he has issues too about that whole sort of like you know, and I've used the term sort of the affirmative action hire just kind of pushed in there. But the more when I go back now, he's 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 a really good everyman mm-hmm. um, voice, whereas I don't see that with Leslie. I I see it as well. No, she's doing yeah. a very different thing. Let's, right. let's hang on to Leslie Jones a little bit until the second segment because right. she's going to be our whole second segment. So, Tracy Wu Fastenberg, this this movie does bring together four of the top comic talents in America today for people who are living under rocks. And we're talking about Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Kate McKinnon, uh, and uh, Leslie Jones. Three of the four uh, are from Saturday Night Live. Also, three of the four are women in their forties. There aren't a lot of movies these days that are built around. Uh, women in their three women in their forties as star vehicles here, but these are they're all enormous comic talents. And so one of the questions is, can they work as an ensemble? You know, do we get out of them everything that we we hope to get out of them? Um, how did this movie work for you? <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that we did get everything out of them that we we could have. I'm familiar with all of them. Uh, you know, I don't not a regular SNL watcher, but you know enough to know who they are and to know that they have. A relatively broad range, um, but I feel like each one seemed to sort of stay in exactly what I expected of them. You know, none of them did anything really different than what we've seen them do before. And I also don't think that it really showcased their talent the the same way. And and I think Carolyn had mentioned this, that she wasn't sure whether it was the writing or the performance. And I'm still not sure which one it is either, but I just felt like Every step of the way, there was just a little something lacking. And to be fair, I haven't seen the first one, so I don't have – or those first two. Um, so I don't have anything she to compare only emigrated, it to. She only emigrated to this country about a year ago. <laughs> yes. That's I, the reason. Yeah. She's really you know, newly naturalized. <laughs> I really did live yeah. under a rock, but I do right. know who these four women are. In the Trump administration, you will be required to watch Ghostbusters before you get your naturalization paper. After but, they put uh, yeah. the wall in front of me. Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, somehow or other, yes. So, several people had not seen the original Ghostbusters. I don't 
personally understand that, uh, <laughs> but that's fine. I so, can't explain it. So, you know, Kate, this brings up that the question. I mean, I think comedy ultimately does need some kind of propulsion. If you're gonna, if you're gonna have a comic premise that works for two hours, it needs to be propelled by something. I mean, does, does this? What's the fuel of this particular iteration? Did you did you find it there? You know, I go to the movies, especially lately, to laugh, mm -hmm. and I accept movies as cartoons. And so I was ready to laugh at a cartoon, but I feel that the director, to me it goes back to the direction, that the director chose the wrong cartoon. And I thought that uh, uh, creating the Kristen Wiig character on kind of like a 1950s mousy librarian mm -hmm. was just wrong. Just base it on today's hip, stylish, tatted PhD women. You know, mm -hmm. and I just <laughs> wish <laughs> I love that. Uh -huh. you just got... <laughs> and, you know, just and I wish everybody had been stepped up more stylish, more sharp, more hip. I could I would have liked that cartoon. I mean, we have we have some professors right here in this room and I would not call any of y'all mousy or any of those stereotypes. You know, so I think, yeah, they could have done more. Well, although Elizabeth, I mean, I uh, I I either I mean, <laughs> Elizabeth, they're under no requirement to stick to the original vibe or premise of, of, of 1984. But in 1984, this was about nerds, about unfashionable, unlovely, unstylish nerds whom nobody took seriously. I mean, really, a lot of the original movie is Bill Murray trying to convert Sigour Sigourney Weaver, trying to get her to believe in him as a romantic uh, object and, and as somebody who knows what he's talking about. I mean, so, I mean, in a way, making these women stylish, it would have been taking the, the argument to a different place anyway. Well, there was something very sexy about Bill Murray in the original one. I just rewatched it recently and he was a smooth talker and just a dryly funny, wry guy. I didn't see any characters here who I thought were sexy and appealing, including Chris Hemsworth, who was, seemed to be thrown in as the dumb eye candy and was way too dumb. And they didn't even dress him up like eye candy. And in my opinion, they could have uh, used his assets a little better than they did. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't find anybody who I thought was appealing. And I also had a problem with very, very smart women being portrayed as super goofy or super um, wimpy and cowering. And, and I just didn't see their smarts come through. I, I made the point that Kristen Wiig's character was supposed to have a PhD in physics, and I don't remember even one point in the movie, maybe there was one, where she used her physics knowledge. Well, there's a lot of physics talk. A lot of it's coming from Kate McKinnon. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and she's just uh, sort of saying yes, but yeah. she's got the PhD in, 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 uh, in physics. So I, I found it demeaning toward women, and I didn't think it, it moved us forward in any way. And, and comedies can move us forward. They can. I don't know if that's always their job, right? No, but they can. And this one just seemed to move Lots of uh, lots of folks back. So, am I correct that none of you four liked this movie very much? Okay, that's something she was. Well, you know, I I liked it, but I was disappointed. You know, I I, I went. I did not see the original, mm -hmm. and why not? I thought, why didn't I see it? it You're also recently naturalized. No, I was working in a feminist bookstore. I didn't have a TV, <laughs> and I went to see art films at the Orson Welles Cinema in Cambridge. What can I tell you? You get a pass then. Yeah. All right, but when I looked at the uh, trailer for the original Ghostbusters, the energy just popped off the screen, mm -hmm. and I said, "Well, what's the difference?" I googled, googled a bit. Murray and Aykroyd were in their 30s. They were mm -hmm. all in their 30s. 
and Aykroyd and Murray were already big SNL stars. And I think all of their confidence and bravado and whatever just came off but the But these, these women are all huge stars. They're bigger stars really than Murray and Aykroyd were at that point. Well, maybe in their Murray 40s. Yeah. In their 40s. But they, but they 40s. also didn't play them that way. Even right. the Melissa right. McCarthy character who normally is a big presence on the screen, she was told to dial it way back. And I agree with Anthony Lane from The New Yorker that the funniest bits she had were with the Chinese, the guy who brought the Chinese takeout food. Who Wu doesn't like because he's not Chinese. He was not Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> there was no good Asian representation as far as East Asian. All right. You know what? We have to do a line change here to get the other four uh, involved here. So while that's happening, I'll blabber uh, to cover up here. One thing that I'll say about this is I I think one of the failures of this movie and one of the ways it differs from uh, the original template is that there isn't enough non-nerd pushback. So uh, in the original movie, almost everybody's against them. Almost everybody uh, looks down on them. Almost everybody resists them. Uh, I actually think this movie could have been vastly improved in two ways. One of them is Charles Dance is at the – the beginning of the movie, he's the, the stuffy, obnoxious, insufferable Tywin Lannister type uh, supervisor of the Columbia <laughs> Physics Program, uh, just looking down his nose at Kristen Wiig. And he, he's terrific, and the tension between them is great. Uh, I would have loved to have seen more people like him, or maybe him, all the way through the movie. And I also would have loved to see, I mean, Michael K. Williams, or Michael Kenneth Williams, who's really one of the great actors of our day, is walking around with this nothing role as this auxiliary federal agent. He would have been such a great villain for this movie. I mean, he really would have been – he would have been a villain with the kind of magnitude that it takes to, to, to really push back against the Ghostbusters. Uh, I would have loved to have seen somebody like him instead of this obscure writer who I never heard of and – and kind of disappears almost immediately as a villain. So, all right. I wonder now, if they were like super self-conscious, and so they thought we've got to keep have a black all. Of, or no, just that they thought that all of the male characters had to take a back seat mm-hmm. to the female heroines, and so we could never really get a character, a male character that was fully formed in any way, because it just seemed as if they were really self-conscious about making it a, a man film. Right. This, this movie doesn't have a Sigourney Weaver, right? Right. It, exactly. It, you know, because maybe yeah, for the reason that you said. I want to talk a little bit about the use of some of these specific performers. They are incredibly talented performers. Irene, as we were uh, emailing around, you were sort of saying, well, it seemed as though only one woman, woman could be truly comically, antically goofy and fey. And that, that in this case was Kate McKinnon. Right. And I mean, unlike Tracy, I am a lifelong uh, watcher of Saturday Night, Day Night Live. And when Kristen Wiig came out on that show, she was so um, out there. Like she seemed like, you know, that guy that used to eat the apple, jump up on the table and eat the apple just like really fast and throw it all over. He was so out there. And she was uh, she was sort of in the tradition. The first woman that I I mean, I, you know, forget about the old ones from the 80s. Gilda Ratner was kind of like that, too. But just I love that sort of out there, will do anything, isn't concerned about how it looks because she's just going to go for it as a comedian. She seems like she has the potential to that for that. And so that's why I was so disappointed at her mousy character and characterization of the of the physics person. You know, I just like, come on, Kristen, don't be so, you know, like, and also the character being, you know, she's up for tenure in physics at Columbia and she's afraid to give a lecture. That's just impossible. You know, <laughs> anyone comedy. at that level has given so many lectures. Yeah. She would never be. And that's the opening scene of the movie or pretty much the opening scene. And, you know, you just, I just felt like, come on. But at the same time, I really want to say, though, that the fact that they made it over with women in itself, I want to, I want to applaud, you know, and that they didn't have to have a, a, a much of a romantic 
story that it was really about the women fighting, you know, the good guys who were the women fighting the bad guy. You know, there's something, you know, even though I agree with everybody that they didn't really it didn't really work as a movie, at least that attempt is worth applauding. Although, uh, Teresa, I mean, really, this created a situation I think unlike any I've ever seen. I mean, partly because social media wasn't around forever, but th- mm-hmm. this movie, before it opened, before there was you know a complete print of it for anybody to watch, already had all these daggers stuck in it for exactly because of the the thing that Irene's talking about. Yeah, I mean, I think to some degree the movie sort of seems like it was – the movie itself was the afterthought. I think Paul Feig looked at these actresses and were sort of like, I just want to figure out how to get them all into a movie together and was like, oh, Ghostbusters, <laughs> you know. But um, – and I, I will say I actually liked it as far as a silly summer comedy goes. I don't really expect that much and I laughed a lot and there were some points that weren't that funny but whatever. Did, and, you, did you engage with all the like, you know, uh, special effects stuff? You I mean, did. do I just like that <laughs> stuff in general? Yeah. No, I didn't did really you, care. Were you thinking like, go, go, get, get them, get well, the haunted you know, balloons? To the yeah. special, Carolyn, yeah. to the special effects part. There's so many things I want to talk to you guys about, <laughs> but to the special effects part, one of the things that I realized was I've seen all this before. Like I've seen things squirt out of. Uh, out of proton packs and trap ghosts. Like, I've seen exactly that. And since I've watched the original Ghostbusters five times, I've seen it five times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the ghosts weren't even good. I was really mad about that, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade of ghosts that it these ghosts me come the back to mansion. possess. Yeah, yeah they possess balloons mm-hmm. and then attack them. I mean, it was just <laughs> so bizarre and it wasn't even cool. And in that was the other thing that the 1984 one and then the the second one the ghostbusters 2 were ki- they kind of looked better too this one you know this epic battle scene in this computer generated times square did nothing for me whereas you know the state of marshmallow man in the original one attacking a building he looked so much more real and cool <laughs> <Evil>. yeah <laughs> The, banali- the banality the of evil, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so can we just – I would just want to pause on Irene's point about Kristen Wiig. I actually think – and I know you guys have seen one of her more serious roles – that Kristen, Kristen Wiig is really looking for a different kind of career anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I said in one email, she's, she's, the, she's one Fisher King type role away <laughs> from being what Robin Williams became, this fabulously, deeply talented comic performer who can also do other stuff. And I know that you both saw Welcome to Me, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, do you want to tell people what that is? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's the the thing with this movie. She wins the a, a lottery, she wins and she buys herself a talk show that is she's, like a vehicle. she's mentally ill. She's, yeah, mm-hmm. she's bipolar slash borderline. She changes throughout the movie right. for some reason. But, yeah, and she yeah. she buys herself a talk show as her own vehicle to. <laughs> Fame and 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 everything that she imagines she wants out of her life that prior minute. to that's this my event. life you're yeah. describing right now. I should be uh, suing them. Well, it, but anyway, Teresa, it re- represents also her attempt to stretch. We've also seen her in yes. small roles and stuff like The Martian. You know, she's she's trying to have something other than your is typical she, post. She night. was also in a movie called The Skeleton Twins right. with mm-hmm. is it is it Bill Hader? Or? Yeah, it is Bill. Yeah. Hader. It's Bill yeah. Hader, yeah. which is actually really dark and. And they're still funny, and Welcome to Me is funny, but she's definitely trying to have a different – she doesn't want a slapstick career. Again, I I don't know if it's the writing in that one or the Mm -hmm. performance, but something was off for me where I just couldn't embrace her, where I was like, all right, she's really moving into this new – 
a, a new level here as an actor. I can't quite buy the Robin Williams. I mean, he to <laughs> me is like an icon, and I don't know if Kristen Wiig is one performance away from iconic status. <laughs> but I do think that she is absolutely trying to move into a different space. And mm. I think in one of the threads, because as you guys know, I'm a very quiet emailer when yeah. the threads start going. But I did have mm-hmm. to say that once she started sort of gunning for the covers of Vogue, mm-hmm. that's when she became kind of a less interesting character actor. And I think that's because she's trying to move into leading lady status, which I don't think Robin Williams was ever gunning for. But mm-hmm. I don't think he was ever like, I want to be like Tom Hanks. He was very firmly, mm-hmm. you know, a character actor capable of changing his his like metamorphosizing himself for a role, not like Jim Carrey, but in a more like genuine, authentic way. I don't know if Kristen Wiig can completely. And I think Ghostbusters was the wrong movie for her to be trying to play it serious. Well, and I don't even know if she was. She was, as, you know, to Irene's point, was playing the stereotype of a 1950s, and Kate's point, and, you know, 1950s stereotype. And she always seems to play that sort of role of, like, kind of ditzy and, Mm -hmm. like, she's kind of smart, but she doesn't really get it. That get something that everybody else gets in terms and of, of how to behave. And of all the actresses to give us like that kind of like sexy female, you know, mm-hmm. smart. She was the type that could have like landed that for us in a really funny, you know, exciting way. Well, the exactly. weird thing about about her casting, I think, is that it, she was in the straight man role, and it could have almost been anyone. They could have just grabbed anyone yeah. and put them in that role. And she's one of the bigger na- I mean, it's her and Melissa McCarthy, right, right, that can carry a movie. The other two haven't really done movies at this point. So why was she the one who was sort of slotted into this nothing character? I don't quite get that. They might as well have just got someone they could have paid less money mm-hmm. and let them do it. Totally. It's, it's the weird. sad thing is maybe she thought she was being funny. Yeah. Well, I think also th- this is a movie that really does, um, you know, it, tries, it, do- it hasn't really picked an approach. I mean, it, we, we sort of said that already. But one of the approaches it tries is being a movie about this somewhat fractured friendship between Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig's characters that they knew each other in high school. They drifted apart. Now they're getting back together over ghosts. Um, and, and so it's a little bit of that, but it doesn't really kind of hold together at that. But uh, And, you know, I was saying during the shift change, Irene, that to me, one of the problems is there isn't enough pushback from the rest of the world. Like I would like Charles Dance to be in the movie the whole time telling them they're idiots. They don't know what they're talking about so that they can overcome that pushback. And I think one of the things that makes it a slightly anti-feminist movie is a lot of the pushback they get is from themselves. I mean this is kind of – you hear a lot about their doubts. But see, that's – you know, I don't know if that's anti-feminist. Well, that's just real. I was just being provocative. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, so – yeah. But exa- But it seems like they have their doubts but they actually can do something and – you know, they – they can. I, I agree with you, though. That I don't know. I wouldn't call it. Maybe I would call it anti-feminist. You know, well, but because they. Well, the way that they don't own, manage to really own their power. Right. You know, it's just kind of right. like ooh. Well, ooh. I think it's Kristen Wiig who doesn't own her power, right? Mm-hmm. Melissa McCarthy and Kate McKinnon well, Kate are like, there are ghosts, yeah. and we're going to find them, and I don't care what you say. Kate and- McKinnon was the <laughs> Kate, yeah. breakout star for me in yeah. this. Um, I found she just stole every scene she was in, and prior to this, I, you know. I, I find her funny, but I, I didn't think that she was going to be some next great comedy well, star. she was making, like, interesting yeah. choices. Right. In the that, sense that's that the what, other ones 
struck me of, here. Yeah. She created – I mean this is a very cartoonish film. In some ways as a huge fan of the originals and having had watched the real Ghostbusters cartoon that was on TV in the 80s and 90s, this movie kind of followed that cartoon that they created for television more than the films. It had that very – like it, it, they could have just animated this, to be honest. But <laughs> with um, female voices, yeah. But I, I had I, a problem with McKinnon's character. I, first of all, I love Kate McKinnon. Mm-hmm. I I wait for her to come out and do mm-hmm. Angela Merkel or mm-hmm. Billie Jean King or, or the lady who gets abducted by the aliens. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't like that one so much. And oh, I, I love yeah. and I love her Russian lady. I I, just, I mean I, I just think this woman Justin is a genius. Yeah. And and I mean to say nothing of her Hillary, obviously. But um, but I just in this movie it seemed to me, Carolyn. That the only script and construction she was ever given is just be weird. Like, I, but I thought that that was wonderful for her. It took me about forty told... minutes to get that that was all I was ever going to get out of her. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. but I thought she took a part that was kind of written as a very small role mm-hmm. and just mugged it, but in a really well done way that created a its own iconic character. I thought she was the only character that could like live on, right. like because you know, uh, like you would Bankman see her and again. Egon. Those yeah. were real iconic caricatures that were created by those actors and she created one that the others I felt just didn't. We're going to have to do another break and a shift change but before we do this Tanisha I just want to say kind of in response to some of what's been said about Kristen Wiig I want to at least offer a defense of the, of the you should pardon the expression the straight man um, that th- this is it's hard to do that well the people who do that well make everybody else a lot funnier really you take Carl Reiner away from Mel Brooks in his early career you don't have so much Mel Brooks mm-hmm. you know I mean the people who are great straight men um, or it should be straight persons or something like that. Straight people. Uh, straight people. <laughs> that seems like we're talking about something yeah. else entirely at that point. But anyway, you know, that, that's a skill. I, I'm not saying that Kristen Wiig is, is, is best deployed that right. way, but it is a skill. It's not nothing. You're right. I, it is absolutely a skill. And I think when you take, you know, these three women who have been anointed by Lauren Michaels, um, it's difficult to ask them to do something that is sort of diametrically opposed to what they do on that show. And so you are asking Kristen Wiig to sort of step out of quote-unquote character um, and play that. But I think she could have done it in the vogue sort of manner in which she's trying to present herself to the world and we would have gotten the straight man that I think we women deserve and one that would have helped the story (laughs) to sort of move forward in a way that seemed realistic. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about the painful odyssey of Leslie Jones after this. Welcome back to our all-women discussion of the all-woman Ghostbusters. Uh, We are now going to move on to the story of Leslie Jones. Leslie Jones is uh, this uh, fabulous uh, comic talent. I won't call her a young comic talent. She's, in fact, the oldest person ever hired at Saturday Night Live. In other words, she was hired at the oldest age anybody's ever been hired at at Saturday Night Live. I think she was maybe about 46 at the time. She's 48 now uh, in uh, Trainwreck. She was so funny that the makers of Trainwreck just invented a role for her to have just so that she'd, she'd pop up 
uh, for a couple of seconds. And she actually, her big line is, do I look like I work for the MTA? Uh, well, in Ghostbusters, she does work for the MTA. Uh, and she, so she's kind of a subway employee who gets uh, – drifts into uh, and inserts herself into the role of the other Ghostbusters um, and kind of just pulls out all the stops in uh, typical Leslie Jones fashion. Um, however, not everybody has warmed to this. Uh, Teresa Kramer, maybe you can give people a sense of what did happen on social media. So Leslie Jones got a bunch of hateful, nasty tweets from a bunch of trolls um, until she basically just said, that's it, I'm quitting Twitter. But Twitter was like, Oh, no, that's not cool. And then so the the trolls were led by this guy whose name I can't pronounce. It's Milo Yiannopoulos or something. He's a British guy who um, works for Breitbart and is known for basically being a troll. Of course he works for Yes. <laughs> he's, um, he's awful. I've heard about him in the past on some podcasts I listen to. He's sort of the new leader of the alt-right and he's creepy. And so he ended up getting permanently kicked off of Twitter for leading this revolt against um, – against Leslie Jones. And she is now back on Twitter specifically to live tweet Game of Thrones, according to her. <laughs> but She's that's like a year. Yeah. Game of Thrones is over. Yeah, I know. She was making a joke. She was like, who's going to live tweet Game of Thrones if I don't do it? But so you know, she's back now. Vivian, there's something kind of heartbreaking about this just in the sense that uh, Leslie Jones, if you've read the New Yorker profile mm-hmm. of her, she's uh, a woman who's mm-hmm. – she, I would say she's waited a long time for yeah. this to happen. But she's yes. been just a very hardworking comedian for a, a, a very long time and is getting a little bit later in her career than most people the kind of breaks that you dream of. Mm-hmm. But this is for her this tremendous opportunity and it really – there were a lot of people who on, on a very racial and racist basis tried to kind of take that moment away from her. Right. Um, I – I, I'm having mixed feelings about this. Obviously, Twitter should have shut them down sooner. But um, her interactions with them, um, she she fed the trolls. And um, any any of us of color who have done public work, um, you get that kind of stuff and you know about it. When I was an op-ed columnist for The Current, I, I just remember being really frightened a couple of times by people with – in, who hung around at the Free Republic website, and they put my picture there, and they were mad about something I had said about um, George Bush. So I, 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 I can feel the pain in part of that. I guess she's a little different in that she shares it publicly. Um, you know, uh, she was t- tweeting about not no, nobody making her address. She couldn't get a designer to make her address, and so, so some of it is. I mean, her personality. A lot of that's over the top, but of course, it doesn't give them uh, the, those the haters any excuse. Um, though I wouldn't be surprised if some of that hate is is coming from blacks as well. I, you know, we, you know, we we can't assume that all of that all of that is because just that that type of character and what it you know what it brings up in some people and so. who she is. I mean, right. to your point about her coming to this later in life. Okay, there's the ageist part of it. Right. But she's also not Zoe Saldana. I mean, she is absolutely in the body of Anina Simone. You know, here's this very large, and by that I mean tall, woman um, with very black features. Um, she She's not trying to make the hair look European in any way. She sort of is who she is. And I think you're right that there is definitely a, a contingent of black people who are like, mm, I don't know if that's how you should be presenting yourself 
now that you've gotten to where you've gotten. Although you know? interestingly, I think I think it's true that Saturday Night Live hired, uh, and I can never think of her name because she's disappeared into the background. A much so more conventionally, a conventionally attractive, more demure, younger. you know, mm-hmm. younger, more ready for prime time looking mm-hmm. um, African American comic performer. Uh, and thinking, well, that'll be the person we put out front, and maybe Leslie Jones will be writing stuff or whatever. <laughs> but and, Leslie and people, plays the stereotypes yeah. that we are comfortable seeing. And I was actually surprised in this film that she didn't lean harder into – I mean it was the nameplate necklace that was a little more stereotypical than her actual performance was. Right. But when she's on SNL, she is every black stereotype you can imagine and she does not shy away from it. That is like what she does. So it's not surprising to me that she's risen to the top in terms of right. her usability on that show because even Keenan Tom. No, it's not Keenan. It's the other. Ke- Jay Farrow? No, Jay it is Keenan. Ke- Ke- yeah. <laughs> I was a Nickelodeon kid, so yeah. all I could see was Keenan and Kel in my mind. And I was like, which one is it? But even Keenan Thompson, he plays to, you know, the stereotypical American black, you know, trope that we want to see. Right. Well, this is the struggle, right? I mean, like somebody, I can't, I, there were actually 123 emails <laughs> sent. We yes, the most uh, ever. <laughs> most ever well, among all of you for this show. But somebody said, I, I'm going to think it might have been Kate, but I'm not 100% sure. It would have been interesting to see um, Leslie Jones as one of the physicists mm-hmm. and somebody else as the MTA right. employee. Although Tracy Wu Fastenberg, on the other hand, there are things that Leslie Jones does very well. Maybe they do, as Tanisha says, say, fall into the realm of stereotype. But she's really good at them. Right. You know? And it feels like in her first movie, she should really get to do the stuff that she just nails. Or maybe I'm, but but you know, I've, I'm wrong I've struggled with this, or where <laughs> <laughs> where I feel like you know she's made it to this place where she's you know a name that's recognizable, she's a face that's recognizable. You know, there's gosh, there's a certain level of responsibility that comes with this. Shouldn't she carry it further? But then at the same time, she also has a responsibility to do herself. You know, to do what she's most comfortable with, what she's comfortable embracing and making that acceptable also. So I sort of struggle between the two because I understand she's fulfilling a stereotype that some folks have have argued against, you know, of saying, you know, we African Americans always seem to fall into that, you know, black artists always seem to fall into that if they're going to be successful and we as Americans seem to crave that. But at the same time, if she's okay with it, then I think that we have to be okay with it on a certain level also. I think there's also an element of her, you know, we're not, she's not a great actress, right? She was a stand-up comedian a couple years ago. She spent a few years on SNL. Her acting chops are what they are. Um, And she's playing herself, right? She's basically, they've changed her name to Patty, but she's just being herself up there. And she's pretending to be a Ghostbuster as herself. And so, you know, how... It could, part of me wonders, like, could she do something could, else? Not that could what? she do something else, but those characters would have been completely di- like, had she been the Kate McKinnon character, that would have been a completely different right. character. Mm-hmm. Oh. But we have to remember mm-hmm. stereotypes are harmful. I yes. think when we were having yes. the conversation, someone said, well, Woody Allen plays the, mm-hmm. um, you know, sort of stereotypes around Jewish um, men. Um, a certain type of Jewish male, and yet, um, you know, many Jewish men 
run Hollywood, um, have a mm-hmm. lot of power in Hollywood. So it doesn't have the same barrier in terms of advancement and, and, and employers in the world seeing black people in a different way and even seeing them as less fright, you know, less frightening when they make stop, when police make stops. So mm-hmm. it, it, there's a there's just this bigger, you know, bigger um, backstory um, there. Um, and yet at the same time, I think it's important to say that um, we don't want to neg- negate the reality of, you know, black women who work at the MTA. And I know that there, were, there have been some stories about people at the MTA who said, she, we don't see ourselves on the screen and there she is. Mm-hmm. Although I would argue that you see more of that than you see black female physicists. True. Um, well, right. we, have to do, we have to do a line, cha- line change. We have to okay. get your sisters I'm not ready. in here. I know, I know. We've got to get your sisters in here. So while, while we're doing the line change, I'll just quickly say, it does seem as though Leslie Jones is caught in a no-win situation when you, when you phrase it that way, that, that people like Chris Rock have looked at her and said, this woman, she just has incredible comic chops. She should get used a lot more. So she gets this role and she has these particular comic chops that she's developed and, and, and has a slightly – well, I mean, interestingly, in the New Yorker piece, she almost has kind of an anti-intellectual point of view of comedy too. She says too much of comedy is writing all this really smarty pants uh, dialogue and putting it in the mouths of other people. And I'm all about the performance and this is the kind of performance she gives and then people sort of say, well, we don't – that one doesn't really I, taste right to us. I still, I think she could have done a really hilarious job being a scientist, mm. being herself as a scientist. Why not? You know, I that's agree. her job. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, I want to see a movie where she plays a scientist. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> it might not be this particular movie. Although, you know, I mean, in some ways, Elizabeth, the other reaction that I was having this week is. I mean, I mean, there were some of these tweets were horrible, and there were tweets of the Cincinnati Zoo gorilla, and you know, I mean, just like things you. I just thought, <laughs> can this be 2016? I mean, I guess. I mean, I, here's this person who's really, really funny, and they're making her into a gorilla. I just, you know, how can that be? Even how how, how can this be happening? It's only going to get worse. I think because there's a lot of copycatting among the trolls and they're they're getting press. Mm-hmm. And I think the more that they get press and there's no way for them not to, the more emboldened they're going to be to post this kind of stuff. So I, I don't see an end to it. Um, the the um, But that even raises the question, Kate, of whether we do a good enough job. I mean one of the questions about Twitter has been – you know, do they do a good enough job of trying to create some kind of environment where these kinds of things are kept to a minimum? Obviously, a lot of Twitter's appeal is that you can do anything you want. You know, there's there's that the First Amendment argument that's always brought up, but I just see a, a general overall coarsening of the public conversation on all levels. All levels everywhere and it doesn't actually surprise me that Leslie Jones got this kind of pushback. I won't call it pushback, this kind of attack um, and I think that the movie didn't help and, and I think of the scene, the, the rock scene where she's Melissa McCarthy character crowd surfs and then the big laugh is that the uh, crowd, the audience parts and Leslie Jones' character splats. Mm-hmm. That was organically not funny to me. Mm-hmm. But then what made it f- funny to me and memorable was Leslie Jones' improv retort. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is a race thing or a lady thing, but I'm mad as hell. Mm-hmm. And that's the takeaway line from the movie for me because that resonates with my life and my experience mm-hmm. and the experience of others. So that, that's, that's what I take away from 
from um, this whole Leslie Jones um, controversy, Twitter controversy, because it's there's disrespect. I think the character, in a sense, is disrespected in the film. Perhaps she's disrespected as an actor, and then she's disrespected on Twitter. Well, so, Carolyn, I will now ask you to speak for the entire comedy establishment. Um, but, Great. I mean, I think everybody sort of thought it would be maybe like the fire station and the original Ghostbusters and that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and, like, everybody would just go running towards the pole and slide down it and go running off to defend uh, Leslie Jones. And in a way, she kind of she twisted slowly in the wind for a while before people came to her aid. Yeah, and that was concerning and confusing, especially you know from her cast members in you know who they're celebrating the opening of the film. They're all in the public eye together, and when this happens, I, I just think that people don't even know how they they don't know how to respond to something mm-hmm. like this. And and I mean, I just this is why, and I keep saying this. I feel like I say this every time I'm on the show. I hate <laughs> Twitter, and like every time I like start to like dip my toes back into the Twitter pool. Like I literally tweeted for the first time earlier, like the the week that this happened in like months, and then this happened. I was like, I'm done with this again. I can't. It, it, it's just for some reason the social media medium of Twitter just invites this kind of sort of it, it's like people think there's a wall up and they can just say whatever they want and it, and then it it also like when people do respond to things it's really hard to understand how to take it it, yeah, it but all, part of it is the anonymous uh, twitter handles too you can right that's hide. what i'm saying they're you all hiding hide. behind this people wall. used to write it on the bathroom wall mm-hmm. yeah. yes um but i i also think that Colin saying, well, I, I'm not, sh- uh, you know, how can this still be in 2016 as part of the reason? Um, because I think, uh, you know, like there's something, there, there is a change going on in our culture. And I was thinking about that watching the, watching the convention all this week, too. Like there, there's a change, you know, we had Obama's president, you know, there's a, there, the Supreme Court voted to support gay marriage. You know, there's, there's a change going on. And so that brings up the 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 vile energy that's been embedded below that and i think a lot of for a lot of white liberals it's really hard to sort of acknowledge that those that those forces are real those forces are a part of our culture but they've been in some ways latent we haven't necessarily seen them that much but they're 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 there and so like the the idea of change the idea of women being superheroes is a is a version of that you know it's like wait a minute something is changing something dramatic is changing in our culture and it's inevitable it's like it's changing it's it's on its way but that other force comes up and the people like the other people on the sh- on the you know the other actresses who didn't say anything I mean, it's sort of like I think uh, what I would imagine is there's the same reaction that Colin had. Like, well, this just can't this, this just can't be. They can't be calling her these things. So let's just try to pretend it's not there. It's better to just kind of ignore it and pretend it's not there as opposed to really getting to the next step, in my view, which is to say, wow, we have to do something. You know, we have to speak out against this. We have to do something against this. It's really important. It's really our job as people who are in the public eye as, you know, to, to do something about it. I mean, I was probably being falsely ingenuous about that. I sort of understood that it was out there. And sometimes the question is, do you push back? Do you engage with these people? Or do you pretend they didn't exist? You had something to say. Well, I, I was just going to say that also this week, there was like some sort of Twitter war with Taylor Swift and Kanye West mm-hmm. that I don't know if any really, but that I, there was more back and forth going on and more people chiming in on that in some ways than on in on this issue. 
Um, which just that that again just seems like a ludicrous. It's interesting though that the world of music, those those battles do come. They're more public somehow. You know, they're they're more sort of. I don't know. Well, oh, I think ba- battles with yeah. Kanye West are more public. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the other thing that I wondered, Kate, and uh, is. You know, Leslie Jones has this very specific persona, uh, and it apparently, according to the New Yorker article, is a persona that she carries out over onto the set, too. She likes challenging people. She likes calling people out. She likes putting people in situations where they're not quite sure whether she's genuinely mad and at them and contemptuous of them or whether she's doing comedy. There's a, a scene in, in the New Yorker piece where she's kind of berating this young, fresh out of Harvard uh, young woman writer, and it's sort of not clear whether you know she's really being mean or this is, she's making this into a funny moment. And I'm just wondering whether people look at that and say, oh, well, that's who she is. Um, where, and, and I find myself thinking probably buried down under all that is somebody who really, really got hurt by all this. Well, yeah, well, what, I, what I saw, what I took away is someone who cried on some level as long as she's been out there, as many years as she's been out there as a stand-up and she's – She's on Saturday Night Live and she's co-starring in this big film. I think on some level she didn't know what hit her in terms of the of the gross intensity of the Twitter attack. And I also paid attention to the fact that uh, Ghostbusters allowed her to get out of debt for the first time in her life mm-hmm. at 48. So I, I know she's it hurt her. I believe that it well, hurt her. Well, I think her. as a, a comedian kind of like – your nerves are more exposed, mm-hmm. I feel, at all times. And that so things a lot of things you're able to kind of take and deflect and use. But there are some things that it just feels like I think as somebody who uses comedy a lot as a, a you know, what starts out as like a child, I think, is like a defense mechanism. It's because like those nerve endings for you are just so they're like right there and everything can burn a lot I'm more. I'm going to be so much more gentle with you from now on. All right. We have to take a break. <laughs> if we're going to do endorsements, we've got to take a break. We'll come back. Let me tell you quickly uh, who did what. Uh, Bitsy Kaplan's on the board today. The show was produced by Jonathan McPants. Uh, Liam Myers is our intern today. Greg Hill is our tweet master. You can, there's a lot of Twitter activity about this show, so check it out at WNPR Colin. Uh, we're also on Facebook. The Colin McEnroe Show Facebook page will have uh, that opening version of Ghostbusters uh, up there, as well as all the audio from this show and everything else. Uh, time to do some endorsements. Elizabeth Kiefer, what have you got for us? I'm going to the Capitol Classics Othello next week. One of my colleagues, George Sebastian Coleman, is in it, and that's wonderful. Also, I went to Sunken Garden. We can't forget what a wonderful poetry series that is. There was great quirky music, this, these these young men from Brooklyn. And tonight I'm going to Playhouse on Park to see a chorus line, which the current said was a 
very nice little production. Yes, we've already endorsed that one. There's actually a Carolyn Payne impersonator uh, in Chorus Line. We should say that the first two, Capital Classics and uh, Sunken Garden, are alfresco things, too. Mm. Uh, Capital Classics is Shakespeare outdoors. Carolyn Payne, what have you got for us? I am going to endorse uh, the Netflix documentary uh, Ghost Heads. I suggested it to the panel. It's really fascinating. If you were a big fan of the original uh, franchise, it kind of follows these people who are they they do like cosplay they go into children's hospitals and it just talks about how that movie and those movies and those actors influence kind of a generation which i feel a part of oh ray kate all right even know who's behind the the monitor person i am going to endorse tomato paste in a tube (laughs) (laughs) i love angel hair pasta And you squeeze a little of this in the pan and with some red pepper flakes and some olive oil and you got a great tasty treat and you can get it from Whole Foods for about $1.29. It looks and like toothpaste. Yes. It does, it's it's like a toothpaste. Right. Yeah, don't brush your teeth with it. Yeah. Right. And if for, the, for, the, for those who want more flavor, there's also anchovy paste. And I just returned from a southern sojourn in Montgomery, Alabama and Mobile. And I recommend it for people who've never come. All right. We've got three minutes left. So uh, wasn't Elizabeth and Carolyn and Kate vacate while Irene is endorsing? We'll get some other endorsers up here. I'm endorsing a movie that's basically the opposite of Ghostbusters in terms of genre. It's called A Bigger Splash. It's like he's one of my favorite directors. Tilda Swinton and Ray Fiennes is in it. And it's just so emotionally interesting and uh, in A Bigger Splash. Yeah. Was playing at Trinity isn't anymore. Teresa, what have you got? Um, I've been watching the second season of Jane the Virgin, which if you're interested in diversity, they do it very well, and they're also hilarious. Um, it's basically a telenovela made for an American audience. It's great. All right. Tracy? I am going to endorse um, everybody sort of educating themselves on what microaggressions are in this sort of world mm. where we've seen a whole lot of macroaggressions and people saying, well, I would never do that, but sort of examining ourselves and, and what we do every day that can be construed as microaggressions, and you can... Google it, and there are a lot of good resources on the Googles. All right. Vivian? I'm reading White Trash, uh, 400 Years of Social Class in America by historian Nancy Eisenberg. It's a really good way of understanding how we've left class out of the debate in America, but what it does is it shows us everything um, you know, from the beginning and the people who were sent here, um, lower, you know, lower classes to Sarah Palin and um, <laughs> L- lower, people today. Lower classes to Sarah right. Palin? All right. Uh, right. <laughs> Tanisha. I'm uh, endorsing alt-community art, uh, Tamat Astro. It's got performances this weekend. Uh, it's a dance company, local dance company at Town & County. Opens this to, opens today, uh, runs through the weekend, and also BuzzFeed superstar Matt Vorsmer, the e-cushionist who plays live drums over our favorite pop hits, will be in town next Friday. Mm. Uh, so check those things out. All right. Uh, I'll quickly endorse this uh, since we're talking about Mr. Hemsworth, uh, this particular Chris Hemsworth. There's three of them, actually. There's three of them. Um, obviously, he's Thor, but, I mean, um, he's really great in the movie Rush. Rush is this kind of overlooked Ron Howard movie. It's about race car drivers. Uh, he's sort of the second male lead in it. He's this terrifically uh, dissipated uh, uh, smoking, drinking, womanizing uh, race car driver. And he, he's just great. Uh, the guy that uh, Tracy Wu doesn't like because he's the wrong uh, ethnicity to deliver Chinese food, <laughs> his name is Karen Sony. He's in Ghostbusters. He, he's also in a terrific um, movie called Safety Not Guaranteed, a uh, wonderful independent movie with a lot of your favorite indie stars. And last, I'll endorse Kate McKinnon as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, which she's been, <laughs> she did it at the conventions. It was terrific. How about a big uh, round of applause for each other, sisters of the traveling McPants? <laughs> 